Let us pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather here to worship you freely. And Lord, we just pray that you would speak into our hearts and minds and lives this day that what you have for us. Lord, help us to be open and receptive to the movement of your spirit. May my words be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, I certainly enjoyed our four-week series on the parables, and I hope that that was a, a meaningful experience as we journeyed through these great stories that Jesus told, and certainly there's something that we will revisit in the future. And today, in the next two weeks, we've got three kind of different standalone topics and scriptures we'll talk about, and then we'll begin our journey through the book of Galatians, which I'm very excited about as well. You know, I love the parables and the stories of Jesus, and I love trying to figure out their different meanings and the analogies and trying to understand the stories. I like to reflect on the scripture and, and try and really see and think about what God might be saying. But I also like passages that are practical and logical and straightforward. And today's passage is one of those. It's a very, very practical passage. It's a passage on sin and conflict. Not exactly two exciting topics, two things that, you know, we get excited about thinking about or talking about, but they're certainly important. You know, this passage in particular has changed me in many ways and changed the way that I think and operate in, in so many venues of life, and it's an important passage for us to examine. And, you know, in reality, we have differing levels of conflict. We experience different seasons of conflict, and I've yet to meet that person who really enjoys conflict, who gets really excited about having conflict. I've yet to meet that person, and certainly, like I said, there are times in our life where we experience a lot of conflict or, or medium amounts of conflict. There are some of us who go through life where it feels like there's constant conflict. There are people in this world who experience very little conflict in life. We call them unmarried. <laughs> you see, conflict is a reality, a difficult one at that. You know, when we first got married, that was one of the challenges for us, was figuring out how to do conflict. We both came from families that did conflict in a very unhealthy way, but extremely different, that handled conflict in very, very different ways. And so learning how to figure that out and how to do conflict well is certainly a challenge in any relationship, in marriage, in family, in the church, with neighbors, with coworkers. It's a difficult thing to deal with. But conflict is not all bad. There is value in conflict. In fact, if I think about it, some of the greatest learnings and experiences that I've ever had as a person, as a husband, as a father, as a, as a pastor, have come in the midst of conflict, that I've learned so much, perhaps painfully so, in the midst of conflict. And if I think about some of the strongest relationships and friendships that I've ever had and, and some of the best working relationships I've ever had, those relationships have experienced conflict, at times intense and difficult conflict. 
And yet it's because of that conflict, because of working through that conflict, that those relationships perhaps were as strong as they were in the first place. And that way conflict for us can be a gift because remember, we follow a God who is in the business of redemption. Our God is one who redeems. To redeem something is to take it and to make it new. To take the good, the bad, the ugly, even the indifferent in the good, and to make greater things out of them. And so we have a God who perhaps does not rejoice in our conflict any more than we do, but our God desires to take that conflict and make good of it. And so there is good merit to conflict. There are things to be learned. There are relationships to be deepened. There are opportunities for God to do beautiful and miraculous things in the midst of our conflict. And yet conflict can be very destructive. Perhaps nowhere more so than the church. That conflict handled poorly can not only be painful and divisive, but can be deeply destructive. It can be hurtful, it can divide, it can tear down. And really the difference oftentimes between the two, if not every time, is oftentimes how it's handled. And so it matters. And that's why we have this passage. Jesus had a suspicion that we would experience conflict. Jesus figured out that in our marriages, in our families, in our workplace, that there would be conflict. In his time with the disciples, he saw and understood that in the church, there would be conflict. And so Jesus has given us this model to deal with our sin in conflict. Because how we handle it determines its value. You see, the passage, the purpose of this passage is not one to make us feel guilty. Guilt is not a value of God. It's, it's about restoration, not rejection. You see, the goal of this, the goal of Jesus' words to us about conflict is that we might be restored. The goal of this passage is not that we might become perfect or that we might be aware of our imperfection but that God would take the difficult things in life, our sin and our conflict, and redeem. And so we have a process here that begins in verse 15. It's a process that Jesus has given us, kind of a step-by-step process. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. I grew up in a very small farming community. And in that small town, it was less than half the size of Auburn. When you had a problem with somebody, you didn't talk to them, you talked about them. And while that might have made you feel better temporarily, it never really seemed to solve the problem. It certainly isn't the biblical way to handle conflict, but it's the challenge that we face sometimes. Reconciliation begins one-on-one. Restoration begins one-on-one. And so this first step of this conflict process, is, as Jesus tells us here, is to go to one another, to go one-on-one and to deal with it. That that's the first piece of the puzzle. And you know, that's not to say that that's easy. Understanding this process is going to be very easy for us this morning. 
living this process is difficult. It's not easy. And so to go to someone one-on-one -on -one takes a certain amount of sacrifice. It takes a certain amount of commitment to be willing to go and to bring the issue to another person. It's scary. We're not always sure how it's going to work out. And certainly with the trivial things, there is value in just letting those go. But those things that can't be let go, those things that are difficult for us, our first step is to go to somebody one-on-one -on -one and to deal with it. And even though that's hard, it's important. You see, because Jesus doesn't just give us this passage so that we can have happy marriages and happy families and a happy church, but because God knows that relationships are of the greatest value, that at stake are healthy relationships, value for one another. And that Jesus also knew and also believed and believes and prays for the unity of his church. It is a great honor. It is a great act of love. It is a great act of sacrifice to be willing to go to a brother or sister and bring a conflict to them. It's an act of love. And I'll tell you, although I don't always enjoy those moments, I'm thankful. Because so oftentimes the things that we do, the conflicts that we have, the sin in our lives, the ways that we hurt one another, very often it's unintentional. And many times we're not even aware of it. And so if, if I were to not address, if someone to not address a conflict with me, an issue, something I was doing unintentionally, I would continue to unintentionally do that over and over again. And perhaps would continue to unintentionally hurt others. And so this matters to me. I, I, it matters to us that we address these conflicts with one another. That God has something for each of us that we all can learn in the midst of conflict. And at stake are our hearts. Because if I have a conflict with somebody and I don't deal with it, it, it really hurts me much more than it hurts that person. I promise you. A lot of times they don't even seem to know right? And it eats at me, and that unforgiveness grabs a hold of my heart. And Jesus cares deeply about the condition of our hearts. And so it's important that we deal with this passage. It's important that we deal with conflict. But if that doesn't work, we have step two. It says if, if they will not listen, bring one or two or three others along to figure it out. This is kind of that mediation process but it's not one of those things where if I have a if I have a conflict with with Sam and and we can't figure it out we can't find agreement that I get two people that are on my side my army you know and then he gets two or three people in his army and we have a mini war meeting where more people get to have fun <laughs> that's not what this step is about rather it's about bringing someone else in, a third or fourth party, to kind of help see the things that we can't see, hear the things that we can't hear, to, to help us find our way through. I can't say that that kind of work as a pastor is, is the stuff that gets me out of bed in the morning. But I also know, as a pastor, that that kind of work is some of the most important work I get to do. 
because it matters to the health of relationships and to the health of the church. And in the midst of conflict, conflict reconciled, conflict restored, great things happen. And it's amazing that we have a God that can do those miraculous things, that can take a conflict, whether petty or significant, and can make great things of it. And so there is a great value in this process that God has given us. One of my former bosses and and a colleague and a mentor and a friend, you know, Jessica says sometimes that I'm cynical. And I like to say I'm a realist, okay? It's all about language in marriage, right? Okay? And, you know, my, this boss, he was my boss at the time, this boss of mine would say, you know, Marcus, you've got to assume a yes. And what he meant by this was simple. You've got to assume the best in people, that when you go into these conflicts, when you're about to tell somebody something difficult, when you're having an issue with somebody, you've got to assume their best intent. You've got to assume a yes. And that's been of such great value, I don't always do it. But that's been of such great value in my life because when I go in assuming the worst or assuming a no, I've already got a posture. The damage is kind of already done. I have less openness than when I go in to assume a yes, to assume that God has something good, to assume that the other person has best intentions. I've already judged them. I've already become that Pharisee that we've talked about. And so as we work through this conflict process, as we look at one another, as we're hurt by one another, we need to assume a yes, assume God's best in each other. Because it's much better to be wrong about that than to be wrong about the other. And it's so much easier to be open to what the Holy Spirit has for us in conflict when we assume a yes. And sometimes this doesn't even work. And so there's another process here, and it says, if still they refuse to listen, tell it to the church. What does that mean? Well, you know, the church has a lot of functions in the world today. The church is here to help people worship, to help people serve. It's to walk with people in the midst of their pain, to provide services and support when someone is grieving a loss, to be with somebody and provide for someone when they're ill or when they when they have surgery, to be with someone in celebration as they join together in marriage, to pray with parents and support parents as they baptize a child. But the church should also be a place that provides support in the midst of conflict. That churches, that healthy churches should have these mechanisms, a group that when these first two steps don't work, that people can go to to help find resolution to conflict because our relationships are worth the work it takes to work through our conflict. Our marriages, our families, our relationship, our church is worth the hard and difficult work sometimes it is to go these steps to work through it. And of all the churches I've been in that have had these mechanisms, they have been helpful and healthy and useful. And I'll tell you, really, it seems like more times than not, it doesn't get to that point. And when it does, it's actually usually related to staff and staff issues. That these first two steps really do work so much out. And it says here in the scripture, If even that doesn't work, 
Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And I want to talk about what that means in light of our passage from last week that we talked about the tax collector as the one who's rejected. Jesus is not suggesting here that we reject people who can't get along. What Jesus is saying here is at some point if this process doesn't work and we can't agree to disagree, we may need to help people find a different community of faith because we can't connect with one another. We, where You see, the tax collectors, he used this analogy so that people would hear. There are people that, that just don't, can't think and agree and live the same way. And so those folks are kind of on the outside. They're a part of a different group because of that. It's not a criticism of them. It's not a rejection of them. It's a reality that sometimes if we can't resolve it, it's healthiest for those involved for us to kind of separate and find different communities of faith with which to connect. I'll be honest with you, in, in 15 years of, of working in the church, in, in 18 years of leading in the church, I've actually never seen it come to that. I've never seen the conflict process work to that step four. Now, I've seen it in the church plenty of times where we skip steps one, two, and three and go right to step four. I've seen that a lot. Or maybe we skip step one and three and just go two, four. I've seen that. And that's why Jesus has given us this passage, because I think that, that this gets at the very heart of God. That it's not about agreeing, it's not about the absence of conflict. The absence of conflict would be a very bad thing for us. But it's about being committed to working through it. It's about being committed to one another and to God's church to work through those issues. In fact, I, one of the first things I did was talk to counsel about this issue of conflict and we've, we've kind of embraced this conflict covenant that talks about these steps for our staff, for our leaders, hoping that we as a church can embrace that. Because how we handle conflict determines so much. And Jesus goes on in this passage and it kind of concludes here in, in verses 18 through 20. And he says, you know, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What's the point of this verse? Very simple. What happens here matters in eternity. What happens in our relationships here matters in eternity. What happens in the church now matters for eternity. That unresolved conflict means broken relationships hurt hearts. That has an impact on eternity. Churches that don't handle conflict, that have unresolved conflict, they are hindered in their ability to impact for the kingdom of God, to draw people inside and outside into a deeper relationship with Christ. That Jesus in this verse is saying, there is an eternal impact at hand here. This is not just about this one little conflict that this matters, that this has significance. And then it goes on in verse 19 and 20. Verse 19. I, by the way, when it says in the, in the scripture here, at the beginning of verse 18 and verse 19, truly I tell you, when you see that in a scripture, that's kind of a light, that flashing light that says, there's an important principle here. Jesus is about to give us an important principle. 
So principle, important principle one, here in verse 18, what happens here matters for eternity. What happens on earth matters for eternity. And then in verse 19, principle two, if two of you agree on earth for anything, I will make it happen. I will be with you. That if any two of us can agree that we want to resolve a conflict, whether in marriage, family, work, or in the church, if any two of us agree that that's what we want, resolution and unity, God will be with us. God will help us make it happen. You see, it's not just that God looks at our conflict and shakes his head or worries about us or mourns for us. No, God walks with us in the midst of our conflict. In the midst of our sin, God walks with us. And so perhaps the best thing we can do in conflict, perhaps even before we get to step one, is to invite God to be a part of it. And then it finishes verse 20, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. It's an interesting placement of this verse that we use for a lot of different things. But this is a verse about unity, where two or three of us can agree on something. God is with us. God will provide for us. But this verse is actually where the phrase, I don't know if you've ever prayed or heard somebody pray in Jesus' name. You hear me pray that way a lot. This is where that phrase comes from, is this verse, in Jesus' name. It comes from this verse here in the Gospel of Matthew. And what it means is, God, this is yours. Jesus, I am handing this over to you. Jesus, I want you to be Lord over this thing, over this relationship, over this conflict, over this situation. I'm submitting to you, God. I'm giving this to you. That's what in Jesus' name means. And we're to do conflict in Jesus' name. We're to hand over our conflict to God. And that's not how we always think as a church. And that's why this passage is important to us. Because how we handle conflict as followers of Christ and as a church is an indicator of Christ's presence among us. It's that simple. And I'll tell you, our culture is not known for handling conflict well. Christians are not known for handling conflict well. Certainly, as Lutherans, conflict has not always been easy for us, and we've not always been good at it, even though our very tradition was founded on a conflict. And I think we have an opportunity as people and as a family and as a church to be different and to do conflict well so that we can not only follow Christ in new and powerful ways and be healthy, but so that we can be a light to the world and a light even to other churches. Conflict matters. And the good news is we don't have to do it alone. And God has given us not only the tools to handle it, but walks with us as well. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word and for the challenge that this is. We thank you for this process. And Lord, we pray that we would be able to give our conflict over to you, that Lord, we would truly be different that these aren't just ideals that we can hear and make us feel good or challenge us, but Lord, this is the way you've called us to live so that we can experience the abundance of life that you have for us, for our marriages, for our families, for our church. God, help us to seek you first in all things. And Lord, to learn from you to be the people that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name.
Amen.